welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 45, What Writers Can Learn from the Easter Story, coming to you on Easter Sunday, April 1st, 2018. Oddly, today is both Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day, which I just think is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> On the other hand, there's a there's a weird irony that the people who don't believe in Easter think that it's perfect that it fell on Easter on uh, April Fool's Day. I'm sure. So I'm sure that there are some people who think it's really funny, um, and there's probably some people who are celebrating only Easter or only April Fool's Day by you know playing practical jokes on their friends, and maybe some people are doing both. And uh, I don't know. What do you do if you do both? You have Easter dinner, but you hide the dessert. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, and for whatever reason that you're doing it today, I hope you are having a good day. So today is an encouraging words episode, and I thought it would be fun to talk about uh, what writers can learn from the Easter story. So I wrote down some notes about how some of the things that we know about the Easter story are some of the things that we as writers need to keep about, keep in mind when we're writing our stories. So for instance, um, particularly because today is Easter, I thought I'd start with the end, which is this climactic ending happens in the Easter story. Jesus gets um, killed and his body is buried. And you think, how in the world could the hero ever, ever return from that? I mean, it was bad enough when we were watching him um, get beaten and go through the trial. And you're thinking, how in the world would my hero ever get out of a story like this? Then he's killed. So it's really how in the world would my hero get out of a story like this? So it's always good to have a climactic ending that leaves the reader going, oh my gosh, how's this going to work out? I mean, this is the hero of the story, so it can't end badly, right? Okay, so that's always one of the best parts of having a climactic ending is having the reader and being the reader. Oh, I love reading stories where as the reader, I'm like, I know that this is going to end well, but I don't see how it's going to end well. Okay, so that's one thing. Foreshadowing throughout the entire story that makes sense later, but is also not leading the reader astray. There are no red herrings in the Bible. There isn't anything where you're like, oh, I see. This is the bad guy, or that's the bad guy, or that's how things are going to work out. And, and, you know, the writer is making you think that something's going to happen that's not going to happen. It's not that kind of foreshadowing. It's really brilliant foreshadowing where from the very, very beginning, by the time you get to the end, you realize that even from the beginning, there were hints about what the story was really going to be like, or how it was really going to end, when the hero was going to come into the picture, and the things that would happen to the hero, and how the hero would save his beloved in the end. Um, and it's just really, really interesting in the way that um, you don't want readers to ever think that you're trying to trick them just because, you know, maybe you're not a good enough writer to do really good foreshadowing or you haven't done it well yet and you need to edit it and work on it and keep working on it. So, but this is the kind of foreshadowing where all the way through you think that maybe you know what's going to happen and then things take turns, but by the time you get to the end, you look back and realize every single thing actually led to this ending. So that is also brilliant storytelling. 
Um, another thing is to have a hero or protagonist that we can root for, somebody that we want to win. Like we want there to be a hero, or we want there to be a hero who wins the day, who saves the people. We want somehow everything to all work out for the best. But you can't just have cardboard villains. You need villains that have their own story, their own reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. And the most interesting thing about the, quote, villains in the Bible throughout all the little stories and the big story that all the little stories make up is that you understand where the villains are coming from. I always think, man, if I lived during the period that Jesus lived and I was watching and listening and, you know, doing... Uh, doing doing my life, which is, you know, hearing the stories about what's happening maybe in my town or the next town over or whatever, and um, what people are talking about regarding um, this person that, that we see now as the hero of the story. Um, I always kind of am nervous based on my personality that I might have actually quote unquote, stuck with the church. Like I would have believed what the church told me to believe. So I would have been one of the Jews believing what all the Jewish leaders told me was the truth and, and that I would have missed it. I would have missed the real truth that Jesus really was the Messiah and that he wasn't just, um, you know, a rebel causing trouble and that sort of thing. So it's really interesting when you can have villains in your story who their reasons for doing what they're doing are really kind of valid from their viewpoint. You can totally get why they are doing what they're doing, how they got through the, the thought process that led them to make these choices. Those are tough villains to write, but they're the most interesting ones to read about. And, you know, we always talk about having um, heroes and villains who are um, who seem to be equally matched. So you worry who's going to win, you know, and it seems like maybe, um, the people who put Jesus to death, they won, but then there's this twist and Jesus wins because he was able to be, you know, because he's God, he was resurrected. And so he came back to life and not only did he win, but because he won, then all people everywhere won. Uh, we also hear things about you can't have just um, like if you're writing a good versus evil story, like a thriller or something like that, uh, or a paranormal or supernatural kind of thing. You can't just have like this guy against the devil or against evil or, you know, somebody is fighting, you know, this nameless villain that isn't actually a human. You have to put human people into the story. If you, if you write in this kind of gen genre, you know what I'm talking about. You can't just have your hero fighting this nameless, shapeless evil that does not have any kind of human form for him to physically fight. So even in the Easter story, even in the Bible, the, the villain in most circumstances uh, and I'm kind of um, doing this off the top of my head a little bit here, but for the most part, the villain is the devil, um, which just makes me sad because he's the one who actually knows God the best. He lived in heaven with God. He was an angel. It's just, it makes me very sad that he's the villain. Um, but because of his influence on earth and his influence on all different kinds of people, there's, there's free will. People are making their own choices, but then also there are people being influenced by the devil. And so in a way, um, you do have this idea where the hero is fighting this evil that we can't really see, but then the, the writers are putting in 
human people, of course, human people, humans, uh, people who are representatives of this evil that needs to be fought and defeated. And the evil actually does get fought and defeated, which is also super interesting. Um, the other, which kind of leads to one of the other points, is that there are elements of so many genres here. Like there are supernatural elements because Jesus and the devil actually do have a conversation. And the devil takes him to here and to here and to here, you know, trying to um, tempt him into doing what he, you know, is not meant to do. And you know, if you worship me, if you Jesus worship me, the devil. I'll give you everything that I have. And um, so there's a, a lot of conflict between the characters there. Everyone has a goal. Everyone has their own motivation. There are conflicts in between all kinds of different people and people groups. Um, there's um, political conflict. There's uh, inner family conflict. I mean, the conflict that Mary had when she found out that she was pregnant with Jesus and then, you know, her, her betrothed, her husband-to-be, of course, doesn't believe her at first. Her parents don't believe her at first. Um, and so there's there's inner family, interpersonal conflict. There's conflict between an entire people group, the Jews, and the people who are oppressing them, the Romans. Um, there is political intrigue. There is uh, power plays. There's all these things happening. And um, a lot of this is happening throughout, from the very beginning, from Genesis to the end of Revelation. There's a lot of these things happening throughout the entire story. So, but you understand mostly what these goals and motivations and conflicts are. So even in the smallest part, like Mary's parents, their goal is to raise a godly daughter who gets married the proper way and has a family the proper way. And their motivation is, you know, because they want to be godly people and raise godly children. But this conflict comes when God himself makes Mary pregnant with Jesus, and then Mary has to go and tell people, um, yeah, so this happened. <laughs> and then they're going to have in, um, internal conflicts. So there's the external conflicts between people. Then there's all these people having internal conflicts. Um, am I going to believe my daughter? Am I going to believe my fiancé? Um, so people who were actually uh, a part of the church, the Jewish leadership, who were like, oh, I actually do think that this guy might be the Messiah, but the whole rest of the church, the leadership is, and I'm just saying church because it's an easy word that we all understand, the rest of the church is not believing him. So I don't really want to stick my head out and say, but I think he is the Messiah. You know, so there's internal conflict with what do I really believe, but I don't want to get put out of the church. So what am I going to say I believe? There's all sorts of stuff like that. And you understand the motivation behind what people are doing. Um, or just because it's great storytelling, there's a lot of things where you're, you're trying to figure out, like, I see the motivation. I can't really understand it though. Like me, I don't understand why someone would do this or say this because, you know, of whatever our personal worldview is or our life experience is, um, which, you know, just makes the story more interesting because you're trying to figure out other people. Um, the setting, you know, we talk about that you need, um, 
an interesting hero, a likable, believable hero, and there needs to be goal and motivation and conflict for what's going on in the hero's life. The villain needs to be something with flesh, you know, not just a ambiguous sort of evil that's out there somewhere in the world. Um, and one of the other things that we talk about is setting. The setting really needs to be clear and um, understandable. And some of the conflict needs to come from the setting. And so the interesting things about setting in this particular story is that particularly um, in our period of history, uh, a lot of this is, it, it, it's hard to understand because it really is history. It's old history. And, um, and sometimes it's just difficult to understand why would somebody do that or say that or think that. But so now we're talking about um, having a setting that may be unfamiliar to us and all the things that come out of that setting, but also cultures and more than one. One primary culture, the Jewish culture, um, the Hebrews, um, but also other cultures and how are, are the way that those people are used to living in conflict with each other? How are they in conflict with the way that God designed uh, all of us to live? Um, how do those cultures um, influence and impact each other uh, from a um, interpersonal way, from a political way? Um, from um, different things that they eat or won't eat or that sort of thing. Uh, how do they live? What's, what's the normal way that people live? So all of these things are coming out in the story as well. And then, of course, what I think is the most fun part is that, like I mentioned, there are so many elements of so many different genres throughout the entire story from Genesis to Revelation um, that you can find elements of a thriller uh, elements, paranormal, supernatural elements, um, mystery elements, um, political intrigue elements. What other genres do we have? Um, there are comedy elements. And of course, my favorite, the romance element, because in the end, the entire thing is a love story about God creating a people, letting them choose they chose poorly, <laughs> and then him having a plan where he can win them back and take care of all of the problems that they caused himself. He takes on the punishment that, um, that people have brought upon themselves so that he doesn't have to punish them. He can actually punish you know, another part of himself, which is Jesus, who is God. Sometimes it can be, you know, confusing to be like, okay, God sent himself into the world to be punishment. Wow. Okay. That, that's, that's big. Um, but the fact is, is that it is this love story about that we are so loved that someone would love us so much that they would die for us. I mean, going all the way to, I mean, we write... We write these stories about people loving each other so much that they um, they give up dreams or careers so that they can be with the other person, or they give up. Um, you know, maybe somebody is from a rich family and they give up everything that they might have inherited because they're now going to be disinherited because they married for love somebody who is quote beneath them in station or poorer or um, you know a lower class or something like that. And uh, so many of us, you know, we find those stories to be like, oh, good, you know, whatever it took for love to win out, for you to follow your heart. 
And that's what this story is about. God followed his heart. He made sure that love won out and that he won back his people. And that is all of us, which is very exciting too, because it's like, woohoo, <laughs> everything that I don't even understand about how um, his rules and his laws worked when he first created the world and how I messed it up and how I was one of many people who messed it up and how he went to the very end, the worst possible thing that could be done, you know, is to be killed. Um, but he did it in a way so that I would be able to be with him forever. So love wins out. And I just think that's totally cool. <laughs> now I do see the irony again, you know, that some people are like, yes, and it's all a big April fool's hoax and joke because no way could any of that happen. But imagine if it happened, because I totally believe it did happen. And that means that we all have way more life and way more um, hope and joy that are available to us just, you know, from the sake of believing that God really does love us that much, which I think is awesome. But also, because this is a writing podcast, I want you to think about all these elements of story that went out throughout this entire story. I mean, God's obviously a really good storyteller that he can make all of these elements play out and have a whole bunch of different people writing parts of the story um, without knowing what other people might be writing in the future. I mean, it's, it's the biggest, amazing kind of um, multiple people working on a story based on what was written before, only God has it all orchestrated so that when you read from the beginning to the end, you're like, okay, wow, that really is like a total complete story where the beginning and everything that happens leads obviously to this ending. So if we could, if we could even just write a little bit like that, we would be brilliant writers. <laughs> I hope this has been fun and interesting for you and maybe even a little inspiring. If you're celebrating Easter, a very blessed and happy Easter to you. And if you're not, I love you and I hope you're having a great day and we will talk to you more later. Have a great week, everyone.